I don't want to get stale and just repeat the same. Don't get stale. I won't get stale. <laughs> Fresh as a Mother's Day bouquet, that is my mom, Dr. Elizabeth Skabinski-Bortman. And I'm her daughter and your host, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. And this is Advice from Mom. As our pod name implies, we are an advice show. For most of our episodes, listeners like you write us letters and ask my mom for advice. She's been a psychologist and family therapist for over 35 years, and she has got the know-how. However, for this Mother's Day, and for the whole month of May in this year, 2018, we are upping our dosage of recommended motherly input. In fact, um, let's cut our theme music and play the Month of Moms theme of songs. How do we celebrate Mother's Day? All month long, we gotta do more than just calling my mom. Mother is a verb, so you might as well use it. Look at bigger pictures, start making improvements. Talk to matriarchs who are mother in movements. All month long, on advice from mom. Oh, yeah, that feels much more fitting for this month. And for this first episode in our special series about mothering movements, what could be more fitting than exploring mothering itself? Today, we examine how we think about motherhood. By chatting with a woman who brings a powerful feminist perspective to the world of mental health, with her books and her teachings about mothering, relationships, and anger. So mom, we are about to get on the phone with a fellow psychologist that I know you have admired for a very long time. Yes, and also, it's been nice the last couple of days. I've been reviewing some of her writings and some of uh, what her TED Talks and so forth. And so I've been using the ideas with clients, and uh, it's a kick. But anyway, she's really given me a lot of uh, fresh, new uh, ways to think about things. Mom, don't keep our listeners in suspense any longer. You haven't actually said her name yet. <gasps> Dr. Harriet Lerner, the author of many books, starting with The Dance of Anger. Dun, dun, dun. It's been most, many of her books have been bestsellers. Many. Um, many. Are you nervous to talk to her? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I But I know that she'll... She will make us feel comfortable, just the way she does with clients. So, Dr. Harriet Lerner, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. It's so exciting to have you on our Mother's Day episode because one of the many reasons is because you are such a powerful voice in talking about feminism and family systems. And I am so excited for you to share your thoughts with our, our audience today on, on this very special Mother's Day episode of Advice for Mom. Well, I am delighted to be here, Rebecca. Can we start out by talking Talking about Mother's Day, I know, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this subject in particular. What, what do you see as its significance as, as a day in, in this month of May? Let me say a little bit about the history of Mother's Day, which originated in 1870. It started as an appeal to women 
to join together to influence international issues of the day. So the first Mother's Day proclamation began with the words, quote, Arise then, women of this day. And it was a call to public action. Wow. Hmm. That urged women to take public policy into their own hands. It asked women to stop supporting men who were dedicated to war. Wow. So the proclamation said, quote, Our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. So I would just like to mention this bold history of Mother's Day that somehow has become transformed into a celebration only of our domestic role. Wow. And let's remember its origins, that a mother's place is rightfully in the whole world. Wow, that that is so cool. It is very cool. <laughs> and it's so political, too. I mean, it just fits in so well with what we were hoping to do and what we're trying to do, uh, just shift the thinking a bit. Uh-huh. So in your study of Mother's Day, have have you found out why why it's changed to be so much more of a domestic holiday and and in some ways a lot more limited than that original proclamation? Well, I suppose it has a lot to do with, you know, Hallmark and selling flowers and selling sentimental cards. And yet I also like the fact that we have a day to honor mothers and we should just remember to do this every day. Also, you've studied a ton of how the act of mothering has transformed all of our relationships. Um, so I know that's a main a main focus in the mother dance. They, can you tell our audience a little bit about exploring mothering and, and how it's transformed relationships? Maybe I should begin by talking about how it transformed me, (laughs) which actually I had my first child in 1975, my son Matt, and that was a difficult time to be a mother because in the culture, and at that point I was in Topeka, Kansas, where feminism had not yet arrived, and there was something to make every mother feel scared and guilty. So if you worked, you were told that your children would not thrive because you weren't with them all the time. And if you stayed at home, you were criticized for that too. And it it was just a really hard time. Um, That said, I really learned a lot from my first child. Mm -hmm. And one thing that motherhood taught me was humility. Because before I had children, I was amazed at the improper behavior of the mothers I observed. And I knew that I would never do any of these improper things. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't yell at my kids. I would never fight with Steve, my husband, in front of them. I would never feed them at McDonald's. And of course, I would set clear and consistent rules and consequences. Like, I thought, what could be more simple and obvious than making clear rules and you enforce them? And also, I wasn't going to be a worrier 
like my mother. Mm. So, of course, I did all (laughs) of these things and more. I didn't have a clue. And we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue what our children will evoke in us until after we have them. Yes, well put. Very well put. Uh, It's... It's going to be something of a mystery and an exciting mystery, but sometimes also very confusing as to how do I handle this? Exactly. You know, I felt totally inadequate. And I was also totally unprepared for the enormity of feelings that I would experience. I didn't know that I was capable of feeling such exhaustion. And I didn't know I was capable of feeling such protectiveness. And I didn't know how frightened I would feel about something bad happening to my boy. Or I had two boys, so both boys. I, I had no idea how quick I would be to imagine disaster because... I was someone who, you know, when I was 19 and 20, I lived in India. I traveled all over the world. I I was not a fearful person. And suddenly I was like a really fearful person. And I also didn't know that I was capable of such intense rage at my kids. I mean, after all, I'm an anger expert. You mentioned the dance of anger has been on the New York Times list, several million sold. So I thought, I I mean, I never imagined that I could have such, you know, feel such rage. And I think, you know, to sum it all up, the novelist Faye Weldon, she says, the greatest advantage of not having children must be that you can go on thinking that you are a nice person. (laughs) Once you have children, she says, once you have children, you understand how wars start. Wow. Wow. That says a lot. It does. What a great quote. Hearing my mom's chuckles, she can relate. And I am yet to be a mom. I hope to someday be. That was kind of part of the impetus to start this podcast was to collect a little extra wisdom before I set out to be my own sort of mother. But I'm I'm listening to you from a perspective where I'm kind of like, oh, 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 oh. Well, I hope I don't scare you away, Rebecca, but, you know, let's tell it as it is. Agreed. We need to tell it as it is. But we also need to tell our listeners who this week's sponsor is. It's Rebecca going to sing for me. Harriet, for you, anything. And for this week's sponsor, StoryWorth... A jazzy jingle. When I tell certain people how I like to spend my time collecting my mom's stories and making up rhymes, some of them get a little misty eyed and say, I should see what stories my mom can supply. Well, now you can. Well, now you can. Dry those eyes. Story worth Hear what happened Before your birth 
Channel email her weekly with insightful questions that speak to her deeply. Like, what did you look forward to most as a child? Did you have a go-to board game that really drives you wild? And guess what you get when the end of that year rolls around? A book with her stories nicely bound. So now you can, now you can make her a book that she can share with her friends with story worth, with story worth. Imagine the memoirs you'll unearth. Yeah, a little self-indulgent, but you know, sometimes you got to be vulnerable to tell a good story. For $20 off, visit storyworth.com slash pickleball when you subscribe. All right, enough with that singing. Now back to the moms. What I like so much about some of the ideas that you have put forth in your writings and in your so forth, how the reality of having a baby affects the relationship with our spouse. Oh, yes. It's totally amazing because many uh, clients, I see a lot of couples, and many of my clients will come in and their baby is two, and then they're on, there's another one on the way, and there's total uh, misunderstanding or lack of understanding about how having a baby can affect the relationship. I know when, um, when Jerry and I had Rebecca uh, for the first year, I kept saying to Jerry, are you mad at me? And he had he always had a funny response. He always said, should I be? Uh-huh. <laughs> so he's, he's kind of a wise guy for sure. Well, Elizabeth, um, I, you know, I mean, it wouldn't matter what anybody told me in advance that when you first become a mother, it doesn't just change your life. It's like you have a totally different life. You know, the, yes. the enormity of the changes yes. are, are great. And talking about the couple relationship, the marriage, perhaps I can scare Rebecca even further uh-oh. Uh-oh. by talking about, uh-oh, it's right, by talking about what happened to Steve and I the first year of Matthew's life. And I actually have written about this both in the mother dance and I think in the dance of anger because we were getting along very well as a couple, Steve and I. We were both psychologists. We had just moved from Berkeley to Topeka to do a postdoc at the Menninger Clinic. And I then had a very complicated pregnancy, which was very scary. And that brought us even closer together. And I remember the day, I I don't know if Matthew was four months. um, We were visiting in Berkeley, and I went into a bookstore, and I saw this book that's a best-selling book, and it said, you know, one month your baby does this, and two and three, four months this, and five months that. And I realized that Matthew was not doing anything that the book said he should be doing. And I would add to this that Matthew continued over the months to not do 
anything that the book said he should be doing. He never crawled. He didn't pull himself up. He basically just sat there looking alert but not doing anything. And what happened with Steve and I is that we became incredibly polarized. And we had this same fight for up until Matthew was a year old when he decided to pick himself up and begin walking. Wow. When anxiety is high and stress is high, even the most mature, sophisticated couple can begin to look like the most dysfunctional couple. So your marriage, at whatever point, you know, it may happen when the kid is 12 or 1 or whatever, your marriage, of course, will be strained to say nothing of all the other issues that come in, like in-law issues and your partner's parents and your parents and et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's that terrible period of tension and conflict between a husband and wife or uh, partners. That's the thing that underlines for us and tells us that we need to work on this and we need to calm ourselves down and not be in that reactive mode so much uh, because that just makes things worse. And uh, so I, I think uh, we, we can learn something from that too. Yes, and calming ourselves down and getting out of reactive mode, of course, is the key to relationships in general, not just with your partner, not just with your children, but with your mother, with your friends, because we know that reactivity just breeds more reactivity and intensity breeds more of the same. Mm -hmm. However, that is easier said than done when kids enter the picture, and we're wired for reactivity under stress. So I know for myself that if everything is calm in my life and in my kids' life, they're now grown men, they have children of their own, but when everything is calm, I can fancy myself to be a very highly evolved, clear-thinking, Zen Buddhist-like person but if I get anxious enough or I get angry enough, I have the brain of a reptile. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it is the task of a lifetime to be able to calm down and to be able to be clear thinking. These ideas are really, really helpful. For example, um, I read in one of your pieces no one can think in the middle of a tornado. Exactly. I've already used that with one of my clients. I often say our brains freeze up when we're upset with a strong emotion. So, you know, either exit the scene or just do something, take your, take your walk or whatever to get yourself in a better state. Right, right. Because we are reactive. We are reactive creatures. We are wired for fight, flight, or freeze, which means when anxiety is high, we'll automatically either fight and blame, fight response, or flight. You know, we will distance or even cut off, or we will, like you said, we will freeze. And I tell my clients too 
that we can't think clearly in the midst of a tornado because I live in Kansas. I live in Dorothy, <laughs> Wizard of Oz land. So it's not just a metaphor here, you know. Yeah, it's it's reality for you. Exactly. My mom, ha- she has to find a Pittsburgh-relevant version of that for, for uh-huh. her clients in Pittsburgh. <laughs> right. I will, I will. You can't think in the middle of a Steelers game. <laughs> what Harriet just did is she normalized by describing that first year of your son's life in your family, you normalized something that could easily be seen as pathological. And um, I think that's such an important piece that you do. In fact, one of the comments that um, somebody made on Amazon about your Mother Dance book, How Children Change Your Life, um, she said, Reading the book made me feel normal as a mother, made me feel not so alone in my struggles with parenting. I think that's so important, Elizabeth, that mothers realize that it is normal to feel totally guilty and anxious Mm -hmm. and inadequate. There are so many forces in the culture that both make us feel that we're always getting it wrong and that other people can get it right. I think that mothers should avoid perfectionism like the plague. You know, perfectionism is the arch enemy of mothers everywhere. And the same with self-sufficiency. Because, you know, it's great to have experts like myself who are going to tell you this is normal and they're going to tell you about their bad mother days. You also need friends who are going to do that. You know, you need friends who are going to tell you the truth about all the, you know, the feelings that are evoked and how inadequate they feel and how worried they feel. So, you know, we need a lot of support because we also, because we live in a culture where mother blaming is still rampant. It's it's better than when I first had my boys, but it's still there. And mothers are judged. Yes. And we're judged, we're judged not only by our behavior, but we're also judged by our children's behavior, which we can influence, but we cannot control. So I I really want mothers to understand what is actually a very complicated distinction that, of course, we all need help and support to figure out how to navigate our relationship with our children. And we are responsible for our own behavior, but we cannot control, we cannot control the outcome. Children are not little mirrors that reflect back the good and bad job that we've done. And unfortunately, it, it, uh, in much of psychology and traditionally in much, even some, some of the family therapy models and uh, explanations for things, the mom was always blamed. 
you know, I was raised on that theory. I was trained in a psychoanalytic institution, and the focus was entirely on the mother-child dyad and what the mother did or did not do. And basically, mothers were blamed. I mean, it wasn't the intention to blame mothers, but um, let's face it, you know, mothers were blamed for all family problems. And mothers just felt guilty and responsible for everything. And guilt, that kind, that kind of guilt doesn't help. You know, and shame is a dreadful emotion that just makes us want to fold up and hide and hide ourselves, sit in the dark, you know, a dark corner and hide our children. Um, so what, you know, what you were saying, Elizabeth, we have to have support, not just from experts, but support from podcasts like what you're doing and groups and community that will help us feel less alone. Yes, yes. One of the things that Rebecca and I have been talking about in terms of your work is that we're so excited about the leadership role you're playing. And uh, Rebecca, I think it was Rebecca who coined the term mothering of movement within mental health. And I, I wish Rebecca would say a little bit more about that because I, <laughs> you use that term, Rebecca, but I'd love to hear more of your thoughts about it. So thank you for that, uh, that motherly brag, Mom. <laughs> um, you're welcome. My daughter is at the cutting edge of mothering a movement naming schemas. <laughs> Great. And I want to hear about it, too. I want to hear about what is meant by mothering a movement. Yeah. So... Um, I often throw things upon my mom and I threw upon her that we are going on a Mother's Day mission like only advice for mom can do. And we are talking all month to people who are mothering movements. And I think that includes you, Dr. Lerner, because I think you are definitely mothering a movement to understand anger, to understand mental health, to understand feminism in relation to mental health. And I see it as, uh, you know, when you guys both talk about the perception of the mother being the one to blame in so much of the way that our children turn into adults and, and really pushing against that, I think you are leading the way. You're, you're showing the, the wonderful uh, readers of your books and also just the, the greater world of mental health that there is there's so much complexity to to what it means to 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 mother someone <laughs> and i love the idea of looking at mothering as an action and not just an assignment um this month we're talking to people who have never born a biological child or might not even have been born female but take on that role of mothering as a way to bring a little bit more light and joy to the world. Uh, and I think you're definitely in that category. I think that all adults need to participate in the growth of other people. 
and that you certainly do not need to have a biological child to do that. Well put. So uh, after after putting a little bit in the fe- the fear in me about um, <laughs> having kids myself, I right. would say that the culmination is I I'm still feeling positively. I think just kind of letting yourself off the hook. You you the the child that that you're blessed with is the child you're blessed with, and also that uh, in those experiences you'll learn and w- you you'll never be perfect. I mean, that's uh, that's a hard one for me, but I, I'm ready for it. Your children will be great teachers of how imperfect you <laughs> really are, Rebecca. Um, so I also want to wish you both a very happy Mother's Day because Thank you. I, I would not be a good daughter if I didn't. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Right. You'd be a bad daughter. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Circling back to that the the origins of Mother's Day, and also knowing that we have listeners that some of them don't have strong mother figures in their lives, um, and we hope that our show can be a source of a a source of additional mothering for those who need it. Any anything else? Any pep talks for our listeners as they prepare for Mother's Day? Well, I was going to say rather rather than a pep talk, I've never been great in pep talks. I would remind people that Mother's Day is not just a happy day for everyone. And there are many sons and daughters listening to this who, you know, have profoundly mixed feelings about their mothers. And many people who are listening to this will have mothers who are no longer living. And the opportunity isn't there to talk to them directly. And there's a wonderful quote by by Anna Quinlan. I don't know if we have time for me to read it. Sure, yeah. She says, quote, My mother died when I was 19. For a long time, it was all you needed to know about me, a kind of vest pocket description of my emotional complexion. Meet you in the lobby in 10 minutes. I have long brown hair. I'm on the short side, have on a red coat. And my mother died when I was 19. Sometimes I feel like one of those people searching for the mother who gave them up for adoption. I have some small questions for her. How did she get her children to sleep through the night? What was her first labor like? Was there olive oil? in her tomato sauce? Was she happy? If she had to do it over again, would she? And I read that because, first of all, to remind everyone that we don't have our mothers forever, and also to invite those of you whose mothers are around to get to know them better, to be curious about your mother's, about her history, about her relationship with her mother, because our mothers, we forget, our mothers have a long history before we even entered into the picture. You know, you can celebrate this one day, and if your mother's alive and you feel like celebrating, I hope that you do. The longer range project is to work 
on staying connected. And let Mother's Day be a reminder of all that's possible on all the other days. Oh, my goodness. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Harriet. You're so welcome. Such a big thank you, Harriet, for sharing your gifts and your words. It's been nice for me to just sit back and absorb the wisdom. And I thank you, Rebecca, for bringing Harriet to our podcast. It's it's such a special thing. Well, and thank you so much to both of you, to you, Rebecca, and to you, Dr. Elizabeth. And I'm really honored to be part of the work that you're doing. And happy Mother's Day, Elizabeth. Thank you. And to you, too. Yeah. I, I've just sat here smiling the whole time. I think I know I think I know where my soul is uh, because it's it feels extra warm right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mama, what was it like for you to talk to one of your favorite mental health matriarchs just in time for Mother's Day? Well, um, I guess I often have the same, you know, response or similar response, and that is that, wow, she's just a human being like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're uh, and and so that helps me instead of to be in awe. It helps me to just get real curious. She's a fascinating woman, and she certainly has well thought out yeah. ideas, and they all interrelate. Do you think we convinced her that she is indeed mothering a movement? Maybe I, I you know, um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think that she might be a little too humble to admit that she is indeed mothering a movement, but that's, it's, that's like one of those things it's, it's better for us to say than for her to say it. Absolutely. That's well put. So yeah, it was really, so what was your reaction? I know you had a really strong reaction. I was really struck by how I look at children with their mothers differently, just like out in the world. Okay. Like they get what they get. <laughs> like just looking at the mom and knowing like it's it's a gamble. They're doing the best they can as like I guess before I would just look at them and be like, "Oh yeah, that's an offspring." Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, "Wow, that's that person is going on an adventure that they don't they can't plan for. <laughs> they really can't. <laughs> as much as they plan, they can't plan for it." <laughs> well put. Well put. Uh it 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 tends to I think open us up. Having a child opens us up, hopefully, uh, because I think you need to be very flexible when you're a parent from all in all different ways. Mm-hmm. I remember that one of the things that was really exciting for me is that when I had you, I learned how to play. Huh. Really? Yeah, I didn't know how to play. I mean, not it. I wasn't. I never gave myself permission to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly when you have a kid who's wanting to play all the time, you're like, oh, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I mean, you were always first on the sled whenever there was snow. You were ready to go. Let's go play in the snow. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. I also like hearing Harriet talk about the super feminist history of Mother's Day. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And I, I love to remind her of like what how what a hard day mother's day is for a lot of people Mm -hmm. yeah it's a tough one absolutely and maybe many people just 
uh, we we don't hear about their their tough times trying to deal with that. And I know, Mom, you also wanted to pass along a tip to anyone who is dealing with a complicated relationship with their own mother this Mother's Day. The important piece is probably if you're trying, if you're ready to work on your relationship with your mother, and not everybody is ready, but if you're ready and motivated to do so, that remember to take baby steps. Uh, yes, baby steps. The key to the most important thing in life, according to Mama Baby Step and B PhD. Happy Baby Step in Mother's Day, Mom. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms and non-moms mm-hmm. who are just mother in the world. Thank you for everything you do. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for next week when we talk to the anchor of Bloomberg Technology, Emily Chang, whose book Brotopia reveals the many levels of sexism in Silicon Valley. Emily is bringing a much-needed motherly voice to the tech world, and next week, she's bringing that voice to advice from mom. Yes, she is amazing, and wait until you meet her mom. A special thanks to Dr. Harriet Lerner for chatting with me and mom and making our Mother's Day so well-informed. Also check out her newest book, Why Won't You Apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts. And also thanks to Jason Sloat at Kansas Public Radio for making recording with Harriet easy and breezy. And also thanks to Allie and Bob for letting me record in your closet in New York because a soundproof closet in New York is hard to find and you guys found one for me. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Anna Bader. Harriet's interview was recorded by Jason Sloat. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. And our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. Oh my goodness. <laughs>